It's the last episode of 2022. I can't believe it. This year's already over. But yeah. to say goodbye to 2022, we have back to Knit a Spell, one of our very super favorite guests ever. Yes. Rachel Henderson. She's the author of So Witchy, Tools, Techniques, and Projects for Sewing Magic that we talked about in episode 73. She has this book. The Scent of Lemon and Rosemary, Working Domestic Magic with Hestia. And that's what we're talking about today. Welcome to Knit a Spell, Rachel Henderson. Welcome back. (laughs) back. Thank you for having me back. Light from Lantern presents Knit a Spell. I'm magical maker, Katie Rempe. And I'm the maker of magic, James Devine. Join us as we stitch together the symbiotic relationship between crafting and the craft. So, Rachel, for anyone who perhaps missed episode 73, which we will make sure to link in our show notes for easy reference, why don't you go ahead and give the folks a little background about who you are and where your magical journey began? Oh, sure. I am a writer. I'm a hedge witch's the term that I like to use for myself. I started off where I think a lot of people started off with in the 90s with Cunningham. Um, when came out from the small town I was living in, the middle of nowhere, Wyoming, discovered a Barnes and Noble and discovered Cunningham's Living Wicca. And just that kind of clicked with me. I eventually moved on from Wicca, but that was like my gateway into oh there is there is a huge world out there beyond the Baptist upbringing that I had so now I focus on domestic magic really focusing on ways of using crafting and making things turning the magic into your lives basically creating a magical life through crafting creating making some cooking so a crafting witch? I use hedge witch, but crafting witch would work as well. So witch crafter. That's what I am. A witch crafter. Witch crafter. Okay. Love it. I think we could totally relate to that, obviously, with mm-hmm. our podcast name. When you say hedge witch, I don't know if our listeners, or even if I'm exactly clear on what you think, how would you define a hedge witch? Or what is some of the key sort of things when someone says hedge witch, what should we think about? Okay, yeah. So hedge witch is a term. It's an old English term. For for me, it's about lim- liminal spaces. The hedge witch was someone who lived out on the edge of town because at the in old English you have the hedges that would separate properties. So they live out beyond those hedges. They're the person that you would go to if you needed some sort of magical spell, needed early birth control, help with finding out who stole your goat, that sort of thing. So it's very much like cutting man or cutting woman, but a more rural. But the modern kind of nomenclature and idea of a head witch is someone who does a lot of work with spirits, does a lot of work in the astral. You often find the idea of flying ointment is connected to hedge witches. And for me, since I do a lot of journeying, And I do a lot of, I guess you would call it mind magic or astral magic, 
that is why I go with the hedge, which I did. And also being on the fringes, having grown up as that weird kid who was into fantasy and magic and all that. And people were like, you're weird. I'm like, yeah, I know. It's a term that I, when I read about it, it clicked for me. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's, that fits. Yeah, yeah, the one who doesn't fit into the village or is outcast, but then strangely, they're the one that everyone seeks out for help. And so then how did you discover Hestia in all of this? And that was a goddess you wanted to work with. I know exactly when I became aware of Hestia. I have like journals from early on. And in 1999, I came across, I had the, what do you call it? The Patricia Telesco 365 Days of Goddesses. Mm-hmm. And it's each day has a goddess assigned to it. And you, it has a little write-up and stuff. And I came across mm-hmm. Hestia on that. And I'm like, just this idea of one fire, because I'm an Aries, so fire sign, yeah. all, always into burning candles and bonfires and the like. But here's this goddess who is about home and hearth and the, the stability, not only of the home, but of the larger community is based on this goddess who is not really in the larger pantheon, not in the pantheon of 12 of the Greek gods, but gets the first sacrifice of everything, who the senators and the politicians of the day would make their oaths to Hestia. So this idea of someone being that important, but reminded me a lot of like my grandmother, where you have these grandmothers, these aunts, these women who are like the pillars of the family. They know where everybody is. They know what's going on with everybody, but they tend to be overlooked. And it just resonated with me. And so I was like, okay, yeah, Hestia. And then did not do anything with it or with that connection for almost 20 years. (laughs) It happens. Yeah. But always had that at the back of my head of, no, this is a deity that I can get behind someone who is concerned with the women who polish the pews, the women who make the sacraments, the body of Christ, the the wafers, the communion wafers. There Mm -hmm. we go. But that idea that you have this underpinning that things just would not work if you did not have people taking care of these low-level tasks. And that's always fascinated me. Yeah, Um, it's interesting to think about the the deities that are foundational to society. mm -hmm. And there's a lot of attention always given to the leaders or the flashy people on stage. But what about the actual stage itself or the stage hands or the people that built the sets or what it's actually standing on? That's hugely powerful that they acknowledge like, we wouldn't be here without Hestia. Yeah, Yeah. it was like a light bulb going off over my head. And then other stuff is going on. Hestia's like, all right, I'll just, I'm going to sit back here. And when you're ready to get your shit together, I'll be over here waiting. Talk about domestic magic. I think that on its face, people can hear that word like domestic magic. Word domestic um, Mm. can sound and be associated with like, lower level work, or it can maybe sound not as magical. I think in our society, we don't appreciate domesticity Mm. or domestic labor very much. So I love that when we put that together, domestic magic, how it may elevate that or how it brings something else to it. 
but can you talk about your realizations with domestic magic and what it means and what it is to you? Yeah, sure. One of the things that I noticed a lot as I was in my growth and in in my practice is that the things that made sense to me magically in ways to bring magic into my home in my everyday life was, all right, I'm mopping the floor. What can I do? Because I don't want to just clean physically. I would like to clean metaphysically and get these energies here. All right, so I'm going to add some lemon juice. I'm going to add some rosemary and some of these other herbs to my mop water. And I would find myself constantly being drawn to any kind of idea or tip on how to include magic in your house cleaning. And I realized that you can be a kitchen witch and people understand what a kitchen witch is. Okay, so you cook and you bring your magic into your cooking. And I wasn't really, other than a couple little books here and there, and most of them from the 80s and 90s, Cunningham had one, Telesco had one. There isn't a lot of focus on the house and the home, or if there is, it's appended onto the kitchen witch idea. And again, with that theme of what we do on the micro level really makes big impact on the macro level. I've always worked from home or I've been working from home since 2008. So I clean the house and do the laundry and all that stuff. My husband does that too when we are equal partners in the chores. But when you have a lot of time and you're focusing on your home, it just makes sense to view the home not just as its physical, what's in the, the four walls inside the house, but where is it energetically? Where is it metaphysically and magically? And it goes beyond, there's lots of protection spells for the home. There's a lot of focus on, okay, how do we keep energies out? How do we focus it? And it's it just felt like it was ignoring a huge portion of what a lot of us spend our lives on cleaning and not addressing how to then make that also magical. How to live in the house and what's magic there. Yes. Yeah. So right. All the magic to protect the borders of the house. But what about when you're in it and what are you doing in it? It was funny because I had six months to write the book. And that was the first six months of 2020. Okay. I was psyched. I was like, okay, I've got six months to write this book. My kids are going to be at school. My husband's going to be working. Our housemates are going to be working out of that. I'm going to have the house to myself and I can just sit down and write my heart to my heart's content. And I got maybe a month of that. And then there started being shutdowns and It went to remote learning and my housemates and my husband all came home to work from the home. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is, this is a test right here. This is going (laughs) to put all of my theory to test and see if it works. Way to jump into a practical exam. Yikes. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) Did you decide to write this book because you didn't feel there were enough of this kind of content out there. Hestia said, you got to write this book now. Because I had started after the many years where I was like, hey, Hestia, you're cool. Talk to you later. I was finally to a point where I could be open. It was after we had gotten into the house that we were renting after we'd lost the house. And I said, okay, I need to make this a safe space. Like we had this 
a very difficult time and uh, with uncertainty and not knowing where we were going to live. So I said, okay, I'm going to make this safe. And that's when I was like, Heskia is just popping up and like, we're ready. And I'm like, yeah, I'm ready now. So I was working with her and doing a lot of the stuff that I was already doing with the magical cleaning and all of that. And Hestia is like, yeah, you've got to write this book now and you got to talk about me. And I was like, okay, you know what? I can do that. And it was another one of those moments where I'm like, I don't know if anybody's going to like this idea because yeah, it's talking about cleaning. I got a chapter on the bathroom. Marie Kondo did okay. And she talked about toilets too. So I I guess I just always write these weird books that are on these topics that are juxtapositions that I don't, I'm always worried that nobody's going to be like, why do we care? It was basically, Hester was like, yeah, you need to write this book. I'm like, okay. It's interesting. We never really in popular culture talk about the realities of being human. And like, how many times is there a bathroom scene in Star Trek? You know what I mean? How many times do we have a picture of a toilet in television or whatever? Like rarely. What, in the future, we don't like use the bathroom? Come on. And like, how often do we talk about that reality of like how human beings work? I love that that's in here. The bathroom is a magical place. It's a place of like, how we cleanse ourselves. And I think that's one of the best chapters is let's embrace all these different areas of the home and what it means to be domestic. And it's also connecting with our bodies in all of these places. It's not like the home exists without humans in it. It's our interaction with these places. Exactly. House is a house. It's the people who make it a home. They always say home is where the heart is or something to that. (laughs) You had mentioned that Hestia came to you wanting you to write this book at a time where you had some housing insecurities. How does Hestia help people who are experiencing similar insecurities? Yeah, I wonder about that. I had a friend who was living out of his car or people who are homeless. Like how Mm -hmm. does that? Or couch surfing. Yeah, a lot of it is because the concept of Hestia and what she teaches is larger society is only as strong as what the weakest members are experiencing. And that every family unit, every single person is a building block into the larger community. So someone who is living out of their car, someone who's living in a shelter, just because they don't have four walls around them, doesn't mean that they can't lean on Hestia, talk to Hestia, do some of the rituals and the magic that's in the book to safeguard themselves too. Because sometimes the only security or safety you can have is what you feel inside, as opposed to, because a lot of, one of the things that I address in the book is you can be in a house, you can be in a mansion and still be in a relationship or in a situation where you aren't safe. You can be a kid who is in a very conservative religious family that doesn't accept that you're gay and your bedroom might not even be a safe space. So you have to find where you can have that safety. And sometimes all you can do is kindle the fire in yourself to be like, okay, I'm safe and secure here. Even if my situation and my circumstances are not that. And sometimes that's all you can do is have that to carry you through to until you 
to a point where your surroundings are secure. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's how Hestia can help. That's Mm -hmm. really beautiful. One of the things with Hestia and one of the things that I like, the book is for all intents and purposes, it was described as a witchy home economics book. So Uh there's a lot in it that have these ingredients and do this thing and do that thing. But Hestia herself, the fact that she doesn't have a physical representation, you'll get some generic kind of veiled woman, but she really is just the fire. The fire is her representation. She doesn't have a physical body, really. So that kind of makes it a little easier because you don't have the same kind of accoutrements that come with worshiping Venus or Thor or Mm. some of these other gods who have all sorts of symbols and stuff where you can create like a very awesome magical altar. But for Hestia, it's just what's inside of you. So that makes it, I think, a little easier to connect with her because you aren't required to have a lot of focal points, a lot of imagery, it can make it a little more difficult too, because if you're somebody who likes to have that or needs to have that focus, that makes it a little more difficult. But that's why in my book, I write a lot about here's how you can connect with her and here's what it might feel like. And I tried to include as many different senses as possible, because not everybody is vision oriented. And some for some people, their connection with the divine comes in a different way. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will return with Rachel Henderson. Hey, Nidispel fans, join our Patreon for just $13 a month to gain access to extended episode comments, episode outtakes, behind the scenes and bonus content, magical making tips, monthly polls to influence future topics and guests, and interact with your fellow patrons. Plus, you'll be supporting one of your favorite podcasts. Join today to gain access to our entire post history. Visit patreon.com forward slash light from lantern to learn more and sign up. Jim and I look forward to seeing you there. Your hands are the map to achieving anything you want in life. But it's hard to read that map in just one reading. My coaching packages allow me to work with you over time to build towards your goals. We bring in life coaching, executive coaching, leadership coaching. We bring in tarot, palmistry, a little bit of astrology, all the mystical and the practical together and these amazing coaching pathways that my clients are on already really help propel people towards their goals. Visit thedivinehand.com to learn more. And we're back. So we already alluded to this in our first half when we started talking about the awesome breakdown that your book has room by room by the elements. How did you address which room was which element and how does that work for your magical practices? I was a little bit nervous doing that to begin with because I'm really big on people having their magic be personal. And I don't want people going, oh, this room is this element, so therefore I can't do anything else with it. Also, if you have houseplants, you're going to have houseplants all over the place, not just in your living room. And there's water in the kitchen and all this. So what I did is I just, I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And I finally was like, you just got to pick something. And so I went with, for me, what were the most common sense, the first things that came to mind when I was, when I was sitting down to write this. And I 
try to make it clear in the book that if it doesn't resonate with you, that's totally okay, because this should be personal. It's your home, and one size is not going to fit all. So I just went with the stuff that made sense for me and resonated with me and just tried to make sure that people knew that your mileage may vary. Always up for interpretation. But I think it's also, and I think you would agree, all the elements exist in all the places. Oh, yeah. This is just like a primary element to consider Mm -hmm. in these different rooms. I think it's way cool. I just felt like I needed a way to organize the book magically. But again, letting people know that this is not, it's not set in stone. Having come into magic and into witchcraft in the early 90s, there was a lot of really pre-internet for the most part. There was a lot of, this is the way it's done. These correspondences are always this. And if you disagree with me, then you're a bad witch. And I'm like, come on, why are we even having this argument or this discussion? Sit down a moment and look at how many, just pick up your Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs and look at the love section in the appendix. There's three columns of plants and all these plants all have a magical association with love. That tells me that it's personal. This wasn't set down on stone tablets. I make the joke every once in a while calling Cunningham the venerable Cunningham because his work is brought me in and has been a pillar of a lot of my research, but I don't want people thinking that it's all set in stone. I don't want people thinking, oh, I don't have this stone or I don't have this herb, so I can't do this spell. Yeah, that's right. Magic ingredient of magic is creativity. Yes. And some people don't have an idea of what they think about a thing until they come up with an idea that they do or don't agree on. Just by putting out there your thoughts, whether people agree with them or not, will inspire whatever rings true for them. And that ultimately is the point. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that you talk about the kitchen being fire, because I think we often think about gosh, the kitchen is where we have the fire, where we cook food. And I think I associate fire with transformation where something goes in as raw ingredients and comes out as cake Mm. or a meal. So that totally makes sense to me. Is there other stuff you talk about with the kitchen as fire? What else would you add to that? Uh, Again, coming back to Hestia and this idea of the kitchen, especially like the kitchen table is Mm. where a lot of people gather even still, like growing up, we didn't sit when relatives came over or guests came over. We didn't sit in the living room. A lot of times we'd sit in the kitchen and you have that age of ideas and you the talking, you're eating at the table, you're sharing a communal meal. Hopefully you're having a, you're sitting down with people that you love and who love you. And that kind of fire of not only passion, even this, the, uh, less all-consuming kind of fires that come from love for children, for friends and family, as opposed to for your lover, say. The fact that a lot of the appliances that we use for cooking even are and your coffee maker and your mm. crock pot and your toast toasting oven and all of that. It's all, it has a lot of electricity running through it, that sort of thing. For sure. Mm, that makes yeah. sense. And I think about the conversations that happen in the kitchen table and in the kitchen versus in a formal dining room. And I think about, gosh, my parents did the budget or they had hard conversations with us in the kitchen table. Mm. The dining room was, 
more of a peaceful, like, here's where we will dine or here's, we don't have those kind of conversations in the dining room. If you're lucky to have a dining room, interesting distinction. That's really cool. So the <laughs> living room as air. So talk to us about that real quick. So air, it ties into that, what you were talking about, the different kinds of conversations you have. Living rooms, they tend to be places where you're going to have your TV there. So ideas are going to be coming in via the TV that way. You've got your couches and chairs set up for conversation. People come over, you're sitting around, you're shooting the breeze, you're chatting with your friends. It's all much less, I don't want to say formal than the conversations you have at the kitchen table, but they tend to be a lot more intellectual, a lot more removed from emotion than you would have with a conversation in the kitchen. I remember growing up that the living room was basically for the TV and everybody would sit around and watch TV. Or when my parents' friends would come over, then they would sit in the living room and they'd have their conversations and the kids were told to go play elsewhere. So that's why I associated the living room with air. A place where you breeze in and out of, totally. Makes <laughs> sense. And then bathroom makes sense. Water. What about that one? Bathrooms are really emotional. That's where you go, where you're alone with yourself. There's a mirror there that you're looking at yourself. It could have been grounding in the fact that you, where you're showering and you're doing your business, but I viewed it more as a place where you can be emotional. Part of it is for a very long time when I was in a horrible relationship, if I needed to cry, I'd go cry in the shower. But I don't think I'm alone in that where you're allowed, you let down some of your guard because there's nobody else around. And so you can be emotionally vulnerable in the bathroom and water just fits in with that whole emotional and it will carry away stuff. It brings it in. That's why it resonated with me for it to be water. I used to cry in the tub too when I'd get real depressed. I think you're right. That's like the place where people <laughs> generally don't bother you unless they hear you throwing up. And then even then some people are like, nope. And then we round out with the bedroom being earth. Yeah, I think that is the one that probably the most people would have what, but Earth is, for me, Earth has always been very restful, not just with the grounding, but with that that's where you go and you renew. We all end up back in the dirt. Our crops come from the dirt. It's all just about regeneration. And so the bedroom is supposed to be a place where you can regenerate, where you can get sound sleep. And not a lot of people do. In an ideal world, that would be where you get your eight hours of sleep and you wake up refreshed just as if you had grounded yourself and came out a little less frantic and a little less all over the place. This really resonated for me because one of the meditations that I do in order to get sleep is to imagine that I am cuddled and cradled in the bosom of the goddess. And I okay, put the yeah. covers over me, which is her sort of arm over me. Mm -hmm. And I have that visualization of being cradled that my bed is the bosom of the goddess of Gaia holding me and cradling me. And that is like me nestled in the arm and embrace of the divine. And then I imagine my deep connection to my grounding and my sort of like branches up to the sky, to the center of the universe. And I'm just there suspended between earth and sky, only held. And that's a really great sort of meditation. So it, it is connected to the way that we do grounding in our 
witch tradition. And so when you said the bedroom was earth and I was just really thinking about like my bed and why it's set up that way, I was like, oh, this is completely resonating for me. I think about how my clothes are in my bedroom and that's very grounding. So this makes total sense to me. Awesome. I often do a visualization before bed too, where I'm actually the tree. So I turn into the tree and root down into the ground through the house and everything. And then the branches will come on over and protect the whole property. And then that's how I will then nestle into sleep and being like, okay, everything's protected. And if anything happens, I'm going to know about it. So it makes sense. Earth and you there. do that from bed. Makes total sense. Yeah. <laughs> Think about where you kick off your shoes after work. You go to the bedroom <laughs> and you change. And that's that grounding change mm. from one mode to the other. And so let's talk a little bit about feeding body and soul. So this is a concept you talk about in the book. And of course, it makes a lot of sense about them being aligned. Could you expand a little bit about this concept? Oh, it's very simple in the, <laughs> very much the, the whole garbage in garbage out kind of concept but um so you are what you again, eat situation it's also again one of the easiest ways to bring magic into your life is to eat with intention pray before you have your meal give thanks getting into that whole kitchen witchery what ingredients you use to make the meal that you're going to be consuming it's a magical process you're taking in something and transforming your body is becoming a cauldron in which it's transformed into energy to keep you moving and keep mm -hmm. you alive to then further do magic it's a very not so much a closed loop but it's very much a cycle yeah. And I really feel like we often try to divorce our physical selves from the magic and from our magical selves. And I just feel like that kind of compartmentalization is not healthy, mm. really, especially if you're trying to live a more magical life. Yeah. And you offer a great tip in this book as well. And it came from the ethical side in the book too. But I think in terms of learning anything, it's a great tip. And you say, break it down into small parts. So if you want to be a hedge witch, kitchen witch, whatever, you want to be more mindful in your day-to-day, -day, pick one thing to learn about. If you want to know how to make your food more magical, pick one spice to learn this week and do a little research five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day to learn more about cinnamon and how that's magical and how you like it or don't like it and what you would do with that. Yeah. And I think advice like that makes taking on any practice better because it can be intimidating hearing from someone who knows it all quote knows it all <laughs> when you don't know anything we all start somewhere and that is exactly how you start you get curious and you just do one block at a time right oh yeah oh totally which then rolls right into the other topic we wanted to talk about which was cleaning again what is going to make this magical task maybe if i put in a little lemon maybe if i put in a little rosemary what are the correspondences to this a little intention, mm -hmm. you're not just yeah. cleaning to clean, you're cleaning energetically. And for the most part, you got to clean. You don't have to, you could go total goblin mode and not clean at all, but you're going to do laundry. You're going to wash your dishes because otherwise you're not going to have any more dishes to eat off of. If you're already doing that, why not try to find ways to do it so that it is 
magically satisfying so that it resonates. It's more than just a task. Now you are purifying, you're cleansing, you are Mm. pulling prosperity towards you, that sort of thing. The task isn't running you, you're running the task. And I think that's a powerful flip of the script. I think about how I'm not really a fan of cleaning, not naturally oriented around being a cleaner. My husband is a cleaner. He loves to clean. But I think about how if it's a magical creative act, cleaning is actually something that's magical. As I put away the dishes from the dishwasher in the morning, which is my chore, this is actually something that I can incorporate a magical activity to. Gosh, that would probably make it a lot more fun Mm -hmm. and a creative activity. So that's also something that I love about this book is that it inspired me to say, I'm going to stack the clean dishes from the dishwasher back in the cupboard. And as I do that, have gratitude or bring some energy of abundance into that activity. And wow, look at how beautiful these are. And I'm so grateful for my relationship and the love we have. And so this has really inspired me to do that. Yeah, Yeah, I was. And I I had hoped that might help some people because when it's just cleaning, because it can be very easy to be like, I washed the dishes yesterday. And now I got to wash them again. What the hell? That's um, why people don't make their bed. That's yes. We're not going to we're gonna uh, ignore the fact that the bed is not made <laughs> over there. This is not a read. This is not a read. <laughs> but I was hoping that if it could be presented as ritual, presented as magic, that might help people think differently about it because our ancestors, there was not that separation. You didn't have, okay, here's my magic life and here is my mundane life. One of the reasons why the cauldron is a witch's tool is because that was the only pot they had to cook in. So you're not going to keep a special pot for doing your magic in if you can do it in the cauldron Mm -hmm. you already have. Uh, So trying to reintegrate our lives so that we are finding the magical in even the mundane is what I really wanted to see if I could do with this book or inspire people to do. The (laughs) broom is magical because it delineates our space from with the wild space. And that is a magical act. The cauldron, Mm -hmm. the same. This is Mm -hmm. so fantastic. Yeah. This has been so much fun. Thank you for spending this time with us. And you know, what's awesome. We're ending (laughs) the year with you. Yes. Yes. So we will actually be back with Rachel next week where we are going to kick off 2023 (laughs) by creating our own wheel of the year. We're ending the year. We're beginning the year with Rachel. I'm so excited. (laughs) That's right. We'll see you next year then. Before we go, Rachel, let everyone know where they can follow you, what events you might have coming up, etc. I'm on Instagram. You can find me under the name Idiorhythmic. And How do you spell that? I-D-I-O-R-H-Y-T-H-M-I-C. We will link it in our show notes. So just in case, don't worry yeah. us and we'll link it. <laughs> My books, you can get them from Llewellyn. And I do have a Patreon where I post all sorts of little tips and tricks and articles and crafts for people. But yeah, Instagram is the primary place where you can find me online. Awesome. All right. And like Jim said, we'll make sure to put everything linked, including all of your books and your Patreon in our show notes for easy reference. Thank you so much. The Scent of Lemon and Rosemary, amazing book. I love this. It is so awesome. And I can't wait till next year, also known as next week, 
when we get to talk <laughs> again. And until then, everyone have a very happy new year. Be safe. Wear your polka dot socks for money or your long stripy clothes for long life. Do all the fun things and tune in next Wednesday and we'll see you then. Happy New Year, everybody. Bye, Happy Rachel. Bye. Thanks, for, Thanks listening. for listening. If you enjoyed the show, consider sharing it with a friend, leaving a review on iTunes and Spotify, or following Knit a Spell on Instagram. You can also subscribe to the Light from Lantern YouTube channel to enjoy full episodes of Knit a Spell and see our happy faces. You can also learn more about readings, classes, and events going on with your favorite maker of magic, James Devine, by visiting thedivinehand.com and subscribing to his newsletter. Then follow Jim's fun and interactive Instagram account at divinehandjim. Keep up with Katie, the magical maker, by subscribing to her newsletter at lightfromlantern.com. You'll receive a free knitting pattern as a thank you gift. Then follow Katie on Instagram at lightfromlantern for even more magical making tips. See you See next, next week. week.